like you all to please stand for this morning's reading and text we will be in this morning. It will be Genesis chapter 46. This morning I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7 and then 28 through 34. Genesis chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Verse 28. He had sent, sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who are in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again prepare to hear his word. Heavenly Father, we ask humbly that your Holy Spirit will minister to us in this hour, enabling your servant to declare your truth, to rightly divide your truth, and for your people to have ears to hear minds and hearts to meditate upon the truths before us this morning for the glory of your name and the good of your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the most difficult questions that a person ever has to answer is the question, you know, what is the purpose for my life? Most people probably don't fear death as much as they fear ending their lives without having accomplished many of the plans they intended. Now, what would truly be awful 
is to come to the end of one's life as a Christian only to realize that you missed or avoided God's purpose for your life. Whereas, on the other hand, to carry out God's plan would be the greatest joy experienced in life, especially at the end thereof. In today's text, God's plan for one family is made explicitly clear. It's a plan established. It's a promise given long before Jacob was born. The patriarch of the family, the father of the family, referred to here as Israel, given to his grandfather, great-grandfather, Abraham. And part of that plan and promise was that Abraham's offspring would be transported out of the land of promise, out of the land of Canaan, and into a foreign nation, where they would dwell for 400 years, according to Genesis 15, 13. Arriving as privileged guests, and eventually ending up as slaves. And after those years were up, they would be delivered from that foreign nation by the hand of God himself as led by Moses, another servant of God. And just as God had planned for Jacob's family and had plans for that family, he also has a plan for your life and for mine. And you and I will never be truly satisfied We're content until we realize that we are indeed engaged as participants in that plan. Because you can be disengaged. Out of the commanded will of God. You'll never be out of the sovereign will of God, but you can certainly step out of the commanded will of God as the people of God. So I want you to notice there's three points for us this morning a courageous exit, a triumphal entry, and a long-awaited embrace. And we'll get right into this. And we'll look at um, Jacob's courageous exit from Canaan. Now, we did look at some of this last week. It never does get old, does it? Does it? (laughs) Yes. Notice verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Now, notice the increased reference to Israel rather than Jacob. That draws our attention to a man changed through a divine encounter with Jehovah. Now, Jacob was his given name at birth. Changed by God many years later to Israel, having wrestled with God all night. The Lord puts his hip out of joint, and he'll limp for the rest of his life as a changed man. But Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a supplanter. He he was willing to deceive others in order for him to benefit. Over and over and over again. And Jacob has not gone without discipline for the crafty, deceptive way he manipulated his father long ago. His father Isaac. Stealing the blessing of his brother Esau, who was the firstborn. Using a goat 
and some clothing to fool his father in chapter 27 of Genesis. Where only later would he be deceived by his sons in chapter 37 with a goat. The blood of a goat shed as they would dip their brother Joseph's garment in that blood and say, what do you think, Pop? What do you think happened to Joseph? Oh, it looks like he was devoured by a wild beast. Yeah, Dad, I think you're right. After they sold him off as a slave to Egypt, who now rules Egypt. You see, beloved, the Lord will not allow his people to sin without facing his corrective hand. For whatever one sows, one will also reap. And God disciplines those he loves. Even so, our heavenly father tempers his discipline with grace so as to not destroy us as we see here in chapter 46. God could have let Jacob die without knowing that Joseph was still alive. You do whatever he wants. Instead, the Lord tells Jacob that Joseph's hand will close your eyes, right there in verse 4. In other words, the patriarch will see his long-lost beloved son again, and he will precede him in death. Jacob will not have to endure the tragic sight no father wants to see, and that is the passing on of a child before the parent. Joseph will close your eyes, God says. Now, Jacob's covenant name is Israel. He is the one called to be a great nation. He's blessed of the Lord. He's strong in the Lord. He's no longer the father who cannot think of anything except the son he lost 23 years ago. He's no longer the faithless and despondent Jacob who said, if I lose Benjamin, I'll go down to my grave in sorrow. He's a new man. He is Israel, the head of the nation, the patriarch of this family, telling the whole tribe, all the way down to the grandchildren, pack everything up, we're going to Egypt. Egypt. And this is a migration that is followed by Jacob's motivation for obedience to God. Back in chapter 45, verse 28, he was still hesitant, but he said what? I will go. Now, Egypt would serve as the womb for the formation and the birth of Israel as a great nation. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 22, we read in retrospect, your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. That was a maturation period of 430 years. Exodus 12, verses 40 and 41. Now, Egypt seems like an unlikely incubator for the people of God. That it, Egypt, will be the solution or the place to grow God's people. So it's easy for us to understand how troubling this was to the mind of Jacob to leave Canaan, the promised land, and go to Egypt of all places, to pack it up, 
and to go. So we're told that he took all that he had. He wasn't leaving anything behind. He knew he wasn't coming back. This was a permanent transfer into the land of Egypt. This is a huge, huge step of faith in light of a number of factors, some of which we looked at last week. One is that he's 130 years old. This is one old dude. And old dudes don't like change. But it's not simply that his age is a factor here. Greater than that is God's promises with regard to the land of Canaan. This is the promised land for which he is departing. So we got to see the magnitude of this departure. Now another factor regarding this huge step of faith to go down into Egypt is in light of the fact of the humiliation of his great-grandfather Abraham, who also made a journey down to Egypt and lied to Pharaoh and said, yeah, this isn't my wife. I know she's hot, but it's my sister. Pharaoh says, you're mine. And God troubled him. And then Pharaoh rebuked Abraham. So uh, that humiliation is in his mind. And you add to that the fact that Isaac, his father, in Genesis 26, had been specifically forbidden to go to Egypt. Do not go. Because it was during the time also of famine. Why was Abraham there? Because of famine. Why is Jacob going there? Because of famine. Brought about by who? God. So it must have been overwhelming. An overwhelming thought for this man to think of dying outside the land of Canaan. So here... Hesitant, he stops in Beersheba and offers sacrifices to God. And his sacrifice provided access to God, as Christ does for you, and signifies faithful submission to God. A man of faith. Now, even though he was extremely happy about the invitation of Joseph, communicated by way of the mouths of his sons, He's still hesitant to leave the promised land, and Beersheba serves as the last stop before departure. And here he is. And this was a spiritual pilgrimage, beloved, to a sacred place where his great-grandfather Abraham, in chapter 21, and Isaac, his daddy, chapter 26, had previously called upon the name of the Lord. So this is a very significant stopping point. So here Israel, verse 1, offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Derek Kidner, uh, commentator, he writes on this, and he says, quote, The place and the character of Jacob's worship indicate his frame of mind. For Beersheba had been Isaac's chief center, his daddy. In addressing God as the God of his father, he was acknowledging the family calling and implicitly seeking leave to move out of Canaan, end quote. Very rich. He's seeking the Lord's wisdom. Shall I re- do I really go? Do I really depart? And God gives Jacob leave to go down to Egypt in verses 2 through 4. This is the very same place his father Isaac was reminded of the promises God gave to his father Abraham. Do you see this connection? It's beautiful. Graciously showing how he is faithful 
and connecting future generations of his own people. All of which you were part of today if you're in Christ. God's only speech in Gen- from Genesis 37 to 50, his only speech right here reiterates the promise to Abraham, the promise to Isaac to assure Jacob that his departure from the promised land will not void out God's commitment to this family. These words, by the way, are the last words directly spoken by God that are recorded for the next 400 years. Woo! Go into Egypt and you don't hear from him like this again. Now, although Egypt may not be the promised land per se, Egypt is in fact the land in which God will fulfill his promises. It's not the promised land, but the place of promise fulfillment. Making a nation out of these people. Now, in response to the providence of God, okay, the happenings of God for all these decades, reassured by the promises of God, by way of the revelation of God, Jacob sets out to go down into Egypt. It's very important that every believer must be regularly assured of God's promises. That is why it is of vital importance that we do not forsake this gathering. Because you will forget like tomorrow the promises of God. All of us. So, although everything cut against the grain of Jacob's decision to uproot and move down to Egypt, he went. And he went in response to God's word by faith. So this, here in Beersheba, think about this. This will serve as the last worship service in the promised land for something like 500 years. Verse 5. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent Carry him. Notice this phrase, son of the sons of Israel, or the, the children of Israel. That's been used in Genesis a few times, three or four times prior to this passage. But it will be used something like 680 times in the Bible. It stands for the people of God. So the beginning of this passage, it becomes kind of a technical phrase for the people of God. The people that he has chosen for himself, these are the children of Israel, the children of Jacob. And the inauguration of what will become a great nation at this point. Verse 8. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel. Now, we didn't read over those. It's not that they're important. They're of vital importance, which I'll explain why they're so important. We just didn't want to take the time to read through them all at this point in time. But as you look at verses 8 through 27 and review the names of Israel, you see God, by way of Moses, who's writing this, recording these names 
that they may, that they may remember that these, these 70 or the future generations to come will remember in the day that they're brought out of Egypt. That they'll remember that they went down as 70. And then verse 27, all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into the, in Egypt were 70. Now, those of you who have been reading ahead, you know that the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, adds five sons and grandsons of Manasseh and Ephraim, providing a total of 75. And that's the reading that was followed by Stephen in Acts 7. It's not a contradiction. He adds those five. So here we have a long list of passengers, a real people. These people really lived in a particular place, in a particular time, all of whom took a particular journey. So this is a healthy reminder for us as we read texts like this, that these are actual historic events and people recorded, called, secured by God, placed on a list recorded in Scripture. In your name, being in Christ is no less significant for it's recorded in the Lamb's book of life. In the Lamb's book of life, how do we know about that? Scripture. Having called you by name in time because he had already recorded it there before the foundation of the earth. You get this? Realizing that in spite of us, how wonderful is his forgiving love towards us. So this list here takes us forward to the greatest event in history, and that is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Christ, where God steps into history, the one who created all things, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who created time itself, and he steps into the restrictions of time, clothing himself in human flesh and all of its restrictions. This list leads to that. Entering history ultimately to fulfill his story. Meeting us where we are. Showing to us the heavenly father. So the genealogy is very important. As all listed genealogies are, they serve as a reassuring reminder for us that God was faithfully at work fulfilling his promises. And they're very most important because of the theme of the promised seed that goes back to Genesis 3.15. Who is that seed? Jesus Christ. John 14. Jesus said, you want to see the Father? You want to know what the Father looks like? You want to know what God is like? Are you here this morning? You want to know what God is like? Then you must see Jesus and know Jesus. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. In Hebrews 1, verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That line leads to him. These 70, 
John 5, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let me tell you this. If you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, you resist him. Maybe you hate him. Maybe you're, yeah, I'm uncertain about him. Yeah, I'm on the wall about him. Look, to be undecided is to be decided against him. And I pray that he change your, changes your mind and breaks your will. Because if you're not in Christ, then you're under his condemnation already, says John 3. Being in Christ, he removes you from condemnation of God to the category of no condemnation from God. Because Jesus, you will learn, if you put your faith and trust in, in, in him, bore the wrath of God, bore the condemnation of God in the place of those who believe by faith. So repent and come to Christ and escape the pit, the hell. Because that's what descended on Jesus on the cross. Hell. So the scriptures move from Genesis in displaying God's fulfilled promise to our first parents back in the Garden of Eden. So in order to trace the lineage of the promised one, the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be, have to be a careful registry of people all along the way, and this is part of that. Is that clear enough? I don't need to go any further. Okay, back to the small tribe entering Egypt. They're entering as a household. The household of Israel will come out as a multitude. They come in as a little house, little 70 people, and they'll come out as millions. So it's here in a land not their own that God will prepare his home for, a purpose, for purposes that are his alone. That's what we see. Now, a quick word about one of these names. Verse 10, notice that. Simeon's son... Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. Did you get that? The son of a Canaanite woman. Simeon, the son of Israel, had a son with a pagan Canaanite woman. Now, perhaps it's listed here to make a point of God securing his people from mixing with the nation of their separation. Right? He's moving them out and away from these people. So it's not only that God is preparing Israel, an embryonic nation at this point, by taking them into Egypt. God is also preparing Canaan. Now, don't miss this. He's also preparing Canaan by taking Israel into Egypt. For what? For his judgment. Because in Genesis 15, 16, it not only says that God would bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, it says that God will bring them back into the land of Canaan, notice this, at the time when the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. What does that mean? The Amorites were a repulsive people in the sight of God some of the vilest people that have ever walked the earth, and God will tell Israel in 400 plus years to annihilate them. Men, women, and children. In other words, as God's common grace is lifted, as he moves out the Israelites, 
is the family is removed from the land. The Canaanites' path with God removing those people is made clear to take their sin to its logical end. Therefore allowing or enabling God or God enabling himself to prepare the way for judgment as Israel will invade that land in a few hundred years. But they have 400 years to repent, do they not? 400 years to repent until God wipes them off the face of the earth. And that's a judgment demonstrated on a number of fronts throughout Scripture. God is holy. His will will be done. Don't trifle with him. Don't mess with him if you're an unbeliever here today. Don't play with him. Repent before him. Nobody plays with him. And if you're in Christ, rejoice that you're in him. (laughs) And you can wipe your brow and go, whew. The wrath of God is what? Passed over you. So in 400 years, this list of 70 will stand in stark contrast to the multitude that God brings out of Egypt. And God will say to Israel in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord said his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all people. You ain't got nothing in you that I like. I just love you because I love you. There's nothing likable. I just love you because I love you. That's what he's saying. I brought you in, I'll bring you out because I love you. I set my love on you. I chose you. You're chosen in Christ. He set his love upon you. Did you earn it? No, you can't earn it. It's grace. So departing from Egypt is a multitude, which will happen in a few hundred years. He'll remind them that they started out as 70. Another reason it's listed here. Beautiful, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it exciting? You're excited? I can tell. I am too. (laughs) You're also engaged in deep thought. Amen? Amen. Okay, so here's this courageous exit. Notice the triumphal entry. This is Palm Sunday. Jesus triumphantly rode in. This is also a triumphal entry. Wait a minute, you're taking liberty. No, I'm not. Not at all. Look at it. This is Jacob's triumphal entry. He enters Egypt in humility of obedience. This is Israel, the patriarch of the promised nation, the father of God's covenant people, rides in on a wagon in his frail years. A 130-year-old man on a cart coming from the promised land into Egypt, a line who would bring forth the king of kings and the Lord of lords who will also flee to Egypt with Mary and Joseph as a boy and will ride into Jerusalem to face the cross on a humble beast of burden. Which begin the final events that lead to his exaltation. When this dude dies, he enters into the true promised land. He'll never see the dirt. Palestine, no. Glory. Now, throughout Scripture, speaking of humility, 
Throughout scripture, we find that humility is the path to victory and exaltation. The world does not expect to find true strength in those who are humble. But God has a way of taking what what, what sinners do not, unrepentant sinners, do not find as a glorious thing, and he uses it. He uses it to reveal his power, his glory, and his plan through his people. To truly take up the cross of Jesus, to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we must likewise seek to find strength Strength that we need, not in and of ourselves, but by way of the Lord, as we humble ourselves before the Lord and one another, carrying the cross, bearing the cross, a power that comes from outside of us, amen? That's how he enters in here. You can't, who could do this? Who would leave the promised land and go to Egypt? Seventy little people. Seventy... These are sheep herders to the most powerful nation in the earth at this time. Verse 28. He sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. So Judah sent ahead to get directions. And they say men never stop for directions. We don't need to now, do we, fellas, with uh, GPS. So Judah set ahead to bring Joseph to Jacob, the prince of Egypt, to a wandering sheep herder. And now notice the long-awaited embrace. Verse 29. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Think think about this. It's this father who thought his son was dead. Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you're still alive. Now normally, people would come and pay their respects to Joseph, the prince of Egypt. This is a powerful man. But instead, Joseph rushes to Goshen where here now the mighty prince of Egypt races to his wandering shepherd father. How do you treat your parents with all your years of education, with your intellect? Mom and dad aren't as intellectual as you are. How do you treat them? James Boyce comments on that. How many stories there are in which a son or daughter suddenly become prominent, thereafter had no use for their father or mother who gave him or her a start? How many children are there who have been ashamed of a less sophisticated father or a less educated mother? There are many such cases. May it not be the case here. May we honor our mother and father. Children, little children, beautiful little children of the world. Children, honor your mother, and your father. Because when you honor your mother and father, you honor Jesus. You got to do that by faith, right? 
It means I just trust God. What God tells me to do, I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. That's faith. I trust him, and I'm going to honor my mom and dad. I'm going to obey them and do what they tell me to do and don't do what they tell me not to do. That's honoring your mother and father. Amen, little children of the world? I'm not hearing you. Children, amen? Thank you. Very good. Little children. You can give them a bump, parents. Give them a bump. Now, Jewish tradition tells us that when Joseph had come close to his father, Jacob bowed himself to the ground. And then Joseph fell upon Jacob's neck and wept, even sobbing with trembling, grieved also that he had permitted his father to bow down but a little while before. Okay, now whether that's true or not, here's something that is true. Years earlier, Jacob wept, thinking his son was dead. Now Joseph weeps because his father's alive. Tears of sorrow long ago are here replaced with tears of overwhelming joy. Beautiful picture. Beautiful. Now in this reunion, Jacob gives what has been called his nunc dimittis. This is his now just let me die statement. And you remember Simeon, the song of Simeon? Simeon in the temple. We know of his nunc dimittis in Luke 2 who had been waiting for the salvation of Israel to come and he holds little baby Jesus in his arms and he holds him up and he basically says, I've seen it all. I've seen salvation. I've held salvation in my arms. Now, Lord, just let me die. I've seen it all. Glory to God, right? So here with his arms around his son, who God has used, God has used Joseph through all his trouble being sold off 23 years earlier as a slave by his hateful, envious brothers, sold off in humility, sent down to Egypt, exalted to the second most powerful in Egypt. All power has been delegated to him. God, through him and through that trouble and through such great trial, has provided a place of rest and force of, of salvation, so to speak, for Israel and his family. So Jacob says, it's enough. I can die. I'm 130. Take me home, Lord. Jacob was how old when he was sold off? 17. We find out in the next chapter, Jacob lives for another 17 years with his son, the son that he loves. Verse 31. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. They have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you, notice this, When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, but we and our fathers, in order that we may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Very strategic move here. He explains to them, 
that the Egyptians cannot stand shepherds. They cannot stand keepers of livestock because this kind of profession was beneath the dignity and far below the sanitary conditions of pure Egyptians. Most Egyptians were very particular about personal hygiene. I think they invented Old Spice, (laughs) deodorant. And I'm thankful that they did. I don't know. I'm just kidding. So Joseph explains that that they need to skillfully explain their occupation to Pharaoh. And it's much greater, it's for much greater uh, reasons than Egyptian hygiene standards. This, you see, will ensure they're isolated in the land of Egypt into a separated province, separating them so that there'll be no attempt on Pharaoh's part to integrate them into the mainstream of Egyptian culture. They'll be a separated people and they'll remain separated. This is God's protection, again, by way of Joseph's wisdom. Make sure you tell him that you are keepers of livestock. Beautiful, isn't it? Now, drawing near to the end of the Joseph narrative, uh, and thus the end of Genesis, it's appropriate to step back and view the whole. Are you ready? We'll wrap up our time together. We've got plenty of time, but we'll wrap up. It's appropriate to step back. And with regard to that which has been done with respect to the land promise. Okay? So... And and, and this is to conclude on, or to build upon the conclusion from last week. Now, we go back to the start. We go back to the beginning. God created land. In the beginning, God said, and it was. God created land, a place for mankind to dwell. And within that land, he created a particular place, the Garden of Eden, where he placed Adam and Eve. And there, he gives them blessings. And with the blessing comes the command. From here, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Cultivate it, care for it, fill the earth, and boom, sin enters. Woo, scare you at? (laughs) Sin enters. The effect, banishment from the land. They're cast out. They're cast out of the land that God had established for them. And the land, the ground, is now cursed. And this is an act of mercy. He mercifully cast them out, guarding that land with angelic force. I dare anyone to go against the power of an angel. Let alone God. Guarded with angelic force. Because to stand in God's holy presence as a sinner is to be destroyed by his presence. That's why you need a mediator to stand between you and holy God. And there's only one. His name is Jesus, the God-man. There's only one. There's only one way. One truth, one life. Fast forward to the time of the flood. A time in which there is no land. Just a deck on an ark with eight people. 
who've been lifted up, out and away from God's judgment. Until the waters recede, God reissues the command, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Fast forward to a people gathering together to build the power so as not to be what? Scattered. Disobedient rebels, that's all we are. Refusing the purposes of God as it relates to the land, as they gather in one place, God scatters them by way of judgment. He divides their tongues. They can't communicate, so they're forced to go. He will get you to go where he wants you to go. (laughs) And you should be thankful that he will get you to go where he wants you to go. Amen? As his own. Yo, it might hurt. Oh, it might hurt. But it's good. He scatters them. Fast forward. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. Patriarchs are promised what? A land. Where in their lifetime, they're provided just little tastes of that land. Small experiences of what it's like to dwell in that land. And the strange thing about the promised land is that once you're in it, it doesn't seem so great. Have we witnessed this or not? If you know Genesis, if you know the Old Testament, I mean, every time they enter, there's trouble, either brought upon them by them or from outside forces, enemies. And the most obvious problem common to all of them was famine within the land brought about by way of God himself. Famine, which causes them to leave the land. So at the close of Genesis, God forces them out of the land, promised by creating a famine. And they end up in Goshen, a foreign land, an Egyptian land, to, don't miss it, Serve God there. So, a couple takeaway lessons. As we, God's people, walk in and carry out God's plan for our lives. Lesson one. We who are in the faith, Christians bought by the blood of the Lamb, we must see ourselves Regardless of which generation we're part of, we must see ourselves as sojourners, as people without a permanent home in this world due to the ground being cursed. We're wandering in pilgrimage. We're an exilic people. This is who we are until we inherit what? Our heavenly home. Remember Romans last week? beautiful listen to this Uh, Hebrews not Romans Hebrews 11 these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth like Abraham right like Abraham we're looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is who 
the world was not their true home. Their ultimate rest and ease wasn't going to be in that land. We're waiting for a new heaven. We're waiting for a new earth by the return of our Sabbath rest. The Lord Jesus Christ and Peter testifies to this same truth for those who are under the new covenant. Ready? Second Peter. First Peter 2, rather. Oh, here you go. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct, here it is, among the Gentiles, whether you're in Egypt or wherever you are, among the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So like them, we're also exiles. The lesson of Jacob is also our lesson. That leads to lesson number two. You ready? I'm almost done. You ready? I'm almost done. This is, we were unable to reach this last time. Now, lesson two is that God is with you, believer, wherever you live, on whatever geographical location we happen to find ourselves, God is with you as his own people. If you live somewhere and there is no solid fellowship, he's with you. Amen? He's with you. Wherever you hang your hat, studio apartment, ranch-style home, whatever it is, grand villa, we're called to live in that place well. We're called to live in that place faithfully and memorably seo, sola deo gloria. Sunday school, Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. God made it clear to Jacob, I'm going to Egypt with you. I'm going with you. I'm not limited to land. You will serve me there for 400 years. You will serve me there. Whether it's under Pharaoh in Genesis, whether it was under the emperor in the New Testament, number one, this current world is not our ultimate home. Amen. Number two, in the meantime, God is with you, so live well for his glory in whatever circumstances he has placed you in at present. In Sunday school this morning, studying Soli Deo Gloria, the glory of God alone, I said, you serve God wherever you are. Whether you bust tables, you're serving God. Do it well. Whether you're in the Navy, whether you're in the Marines, whether you separate widgets in a widget factory, you do it for the glory of God. If you are, by way of doctor's orders to stay in bed because of a difficult pregnancy, you are there for the glory of God, sister. Amen? So that we will not have to fear ending our lives without realizing or having accomplished God's intended purpose for our lives as stewards in this present land awaiting an eternal but carrying it out faithfully, humbly, and in the power 
he provides, provides from his spirit. And I close. Boyce again. If you're a Christian, you are in the world, and it's worth asking what influence you are having on the place you occupy. What will those you leave behind think when you have gone on? I wonder this constantly. Will they remember you as a saver of life unto life? As one who was a blessing to their neighborhood? Or will they regard you as one whose presence was harmful and whose departure was cheered? End quote. That's enough. Amen? Remember also, beloved, all along the way, God promise, God's promises probably won't be fulfilled in the way you expect. If we've learned anything in the Joseph narrative, if, if it has taught us anything at all, it's that God's providence is unpredictable. And that's, we need one another. As we move on and through it all. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So through the mediation of Joseph, notice this, through the mediation of Joseph, the favor of Pharaoh upon Joseph it's by way of that favor that this family has visa permission to enter the land through which they must be formally nationalized over a time period of 400 years. Through the mediation of Jesus, the Father, favor, his favor of Jesus, and you're in Jesus, he therefore favors you. And he is your entry into the promised land, heaven. Amen? Amen. Next time we'll see the blessing that a wandering shepherd has on Pharaoh of Egypt. May the Lord's word bless your hearts this morning. Father, we thank you for your word once again. We thank you for your promises, always carried out, always fulfilled. Help us to remember these truths. Help us to remember your promises. Help us to help one another along the way in remembering. Lord, we're weak and we're frail. We're helpless in ourselves. May we carry out your commanded will, not in our own might and our strength, but by the power of your spirit, for the glory of your name. In his name, Jesus, we pray.